start is never a start. Not really. I never thought about hell until I was here. Having got here, it suits me in, in many ways. It is a little on the, on the edge of things. I think even its natives would say that. A cut price crowd, urban yet simple, dwelling where only salesmen and relations come. And across there, over the estuary of the Humber, is Yorkshire, and you can just see Hull where Philip Larkin lives. It's a place of thunder, clouds, dark red brick Georgian streets where they survive, and steeples and domes. And beyond Hull was the North Sea. If anywhere's the end of England and the end of land, it's Hull and beyond Hull. Welcome to the podcast. It's a podcast about the culture of Hull, what we do and who we are. The end of August means the close of summer, the end of the holidays, back to school stationery in new uniforms and cut price sun lounges in Aldi. But in Hull, it also means Freedom Festival. It's been a jewel in the city's crown now for 12 years and has grown to become a fixture of the international cultural calendar as well. It's the weekend where the city becomes a stage and everyone comes together to share moments of wonder, surprise and unforgettable spectacle. And of course, a couple of final al fresco beers before we're back to work and watching Christmas adverts again. Mikey Martins is Freedom Festival's artistic director. He arrived in Hull in 2015 and he brought with him two decades of experience and expertise in making festivals here and abroad. He gave me an hour of his very precious time to tell me the stories behind freedom, the philosophy which informs it, and the impact he wants it to have. We talked about what goes into making the event, how he's growing and evolving it, his own journey into and through the arts festival world, and how you put together an international arts programme in the climate of division, growing nationalism, and at a time where we're asking ourselves what freedom actually means. He also speaks passionately about how crucial it is to listen to what young people say and to let them help shape the future. I've only uh, recently got into podcasts actually, just sort of driving. A few people, of course, the obvious ones came through for yeah. serial and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. great. Mm. I've got really, it's, I do, you know, a lot of travelling. Just, I really like it actually. They're perfect for that. Um, well, no, I'm very happy to do it. It's good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, let's start with the 2019 festival. Yeah. What's new this year? It's a bit longer, it's over five days rather than the three. Yeah. So what sort of changed? I think every year I've been sort of, I've been trying to introduce some new elements, and some of it is more subtle than others, I think, because we've been you know there's been a little indoor program for a few years at the festival, a bit random, but yeah. even with my predecessors, Walt the Plank, there was a couple of indoor shows that were in the festival. So it's kind of I've been sort of working that out over the last couple of years, and it and I. Not swerving the question, but I think that what I'm trying to do, the ambition of it, and it's tricky, is to extend the length of the festival right. to nine days. Right, that's well. my kind. Of, that's my aim, really. And it doesn't mean nine days of a massive all singing, all dancing, big weekend with loads and loads of free stuff happening. Not every day for nine days. But what I'm trying to work out is a model where maybe on the first weekend you've got a lot of indoor shows that happen and it sort of starts with that and with exhibitions and maybe debates and talks and as the week goes along then you then the, then it starts coming outside and then you get this big finale weekend so this year building on some of that testing over the last couple of years in terms of okay what kind of shows are people buying tickets for what makes sense in terms of the program and i think what's most important is what makes sense to complement what is already happening in the city i don't want to just copy what's already happening I think the festival it's important that a festival like that 
Not it's completely unique, because there's always going to be other types of work that are similar at some point in yeah. the year. But how do we find a kind of identity for that indoor programme? So the last couple of years I've been testing work, which is more, I guess, more physical theatre, circus, dance, we're moving more that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite a big fan of what we kind of call contemporary circus or new circus, yeah. and not, not big shoes and big red noses, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that kind of, because there's, there's so much brilliant work which is termed circus now, and it might be it might be more like a dance piece, which is with acrobatics, or it might be something a bit more traditional in terms of its form. So this year what I wanted to do was to try and start the indoor programme earlier, so you get this kind of different rhythm to the festival. So you can so this year on the Wednesday, the first show opens in the Big Top in Queens Gardens, and then on Thursday two shows open in the Big Top in Queens Gardens. So you get this sort of slow build into the weekend. Then those shows keep repeating throughout the weekend, and I kind of wanted to see whether we could open Queens Gardens as a little mini festival site as a standalone thing. So you've got a ticket to the show, you're going to go down there and have a drink before the show, or you can just go and hang out in Queens Gardens at the the festival gardens. And it's been quite funny because, of course, in terms of PR and media, it's like five days, it's the biggest thing ever. And it's like, whoa, whoa, it's not not the point. It's not like... I don't think that success is always by getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's about kind of introducing different rhythms to a festival. You know, we of course, the numbers are really important and we're really excited that so many people engage with the festival. Actually, some people don't like big crowds and some people don't like that big 10,000 people in the street sort of experience. They just want an intimate experience to see a show. So it's trying to find that balance to... You know, I think a festival can be many, many things, but I think a festival does not always need to be a really loud frenzy of, ah, you know, and I I think in a way what's happened with Freedom Festival and other great festivals like the Sesh is they've they've born out of this big weekend Mm. and you can carry on doing that big weekend thing and that's great. But for me, as a programmer, if I want to introduce different types of experiences into that big weekend, it's pretty hectic for yeah. an audience member, isn't it? Because you've got like this huge programme. I've got to go and see this, this and this. And you don't really have time to sort of breathe and reflect on things. So if you go and see a show on a Wednesday, mm. you've got a really nice evening of a fantastic circus show. You come out of that, you've got time to talk about it. And then the next day, you have a slightly bigger experience. And by the weekend, you can see lots of stuff. So it's, it's about changing the rhythm, I think. So that's the biggest shift this year, really. Yeah. I guess you'd also get that word of mouth thing, which yeah. over, over a three day you wouldn't really get. Exactly. Because, you know, over the years I've thought, I, thought, oh, yeah. I wish I'd have seen that. Yeah. I was on the wrong side of town. I saw something good, but I just, ah, oh, I hope they bring them back. Whereas yeah. this time, yeah, you can. Because we saw that in the first week of, of 2017, you know, the Made in Hull. projections. Uh, yeah. Made in, was it, was it called? Made in Hull. Made in Hull, yeah, of course. Yeah. And that really benefited from. Yeah. A, a weekly thing that was a really good call I think I think so yeah, yeah I think so and I think the indoor programme is really important for Freedom Festival as well because there's a lot of amazing work that you can present in the streets outdoors mm. you know in public space but then there's also a lot of amazing work that doesn't work in that context yeah. so if I'm to genuinely say that this is the best artistic programme I can offer the festival in the city and the audience it's got to be an indoor layer to that yeah Weather as well. Weather as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't schedule that. (laughs) Yeah, so it's tricky. I mean, a tricky part of it is it's trying to change that culture in a way of everything is free. Because actually I think that's also, it's risky, you know, it's tricky. It's increasingly difficult. I mean, we're in a good position. We're, you know, we've worked very hard to build up some really good funding relationships and really good supporters. So we can give away this huge free outdoor programme yeah. which costs an awful lot of money. But there's a point where we have to be careful, we, all the cultural people in the city, mm. can't keep giving everything away for free. Yeah. I mean, we know as artists that we need to be paid. So this is it. Yeah, so it's this tricky balance because, of course, if you've got an audience who have got used to everything being free, how do you then start to encourage them to buy tickets for indoor things when they're looking at the programme going, but I could go and see that outdoor thing which is free, yeah. or I can pay you know, very reasonable ticket prices to go and see an indoor show. It's trying to sort of shift that perception a bit, and I, and it's going well actually. I mean, we've, we went on sale at the beginning of June, mm-hmm. the tickets, and we've got some way to go, of course. You know, people tend to buy tickets late. They do, yeah. Right the weather is a massive thing. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. damn well if it's, if it, if the weather is bad next weekend, there's suddenly going to be a big flurry of ticket sales. Yeah. Okay. And people wait. They wait until the last possible minute. You know, they want a word of mouth. is massive. But compared to last year, in terms of ticket sales, it's way up. 
So it's proving that there is an audience that are really keen to buy tickets and have that different experience. Yeah. So we're just trying to get that right, really. That's great. Yeah. How do you decide what what does work? Yeah. Year on year, where you think obviously some things don't work, you remove those or you phase those out. It's making that judgment, isn't it, about mm. like let's not lose this. This kind of aspect of the festival works really yeah. well. Do you, do you ever kind of worry that you may be getting rid of things that people would miss? Yeah. I worry about it a lot. (laughs) One of the biggest things that we did when I came in in 2015 was I looked at the festival and went, why? It seems odd to me that we've got one music stage there, which is kind of mixed national, international artists, and we've got another music stage over there, which is all local bands. And I've been to the sesh a few weeks before, and I was Mm. like, well, it's the same lineup. And that's a bit weird. So I spoke with Mac and Dave and people at the sesh about it, and I spoke with my team about it, and said, look, we're going to remove that second music stage because to me it blurs the lines between the Sesh and Freedom Festival. Yeah, I'd rather give Sesh more space to be the local music festival. Yeah. And I'm not saying we won't lo- work with local bands because we do. You know, there'll be local bands and local artists all over Freedom Festival. But to have a local music stage, which is exactly the same lineup as what was happening a few weeks ago, that seems odd. And I thought, yeah. and I guess there's a sort of naive spirit of generosity there in terms of worrying about other people's events and helping them sort of <laughs> but it worked it was real but that was terrifying because then every yeah. you know there was a real concern that you all if you do that oh you're going to lose all you know and it was a real worry and so that was the first step and actually what's been interesting with that is our biggest fear was we'd lose a younger demographic right. in the audience by taking that stage away because they might know those bands or they mm-hmm. might have you know and if they don't know anything will they still come mm-hmm. And what we've seen, and I guess also the timing was good in terms of 2017, is what we see now is a massive young audience who are watching loads of performance, and they're really into the performances now. So we didn't, in the, so actually we didn't lose them, but they shifted their focus onto, the, they realised, ah, oh, this stuff is for us as well. Mm. So we kind of increased the performance aspect of it. And then I think, like you say, you settle on some things that work really well. And what we've been trying to do is build up that kind of festival hub, so Queen's mm-hmm. Gardens as a place you can keep going back to. Mm-hmm. Trying to make that work really well, and this year it looks great. The bar's brilliant, there's loads of more structures, there's three different tents in the park. It feels like a kind of, like an Edinburgh festival garden, it feels like that. And I, I want that to work because, you know, festivals have got so many different faces and different offers. I want people to just be able to come and hang out. They don't mm. need to go and watch loads of shows. If you want to come, if that's your thing, mm. come down, hang out, have a drink, catch up with mates. Maybe you might suddenly go, I should too fancy buying a ticket for that show. I'll do that. But you don't have to come just to watch stuff. Mm. So I think festivals are really important as a place where people come to meet and to yeah. catch up. I think so. It's fundamental. You get the kind of walkabout thing where you can get a plastic pint with a decent pint of Atom or whatever. Yeah. And you can just wander around and then you can stumble upon stuff. So I think that is important. And also just to sort of chat about what you've just seen and you know, say, oh, have you seen that? That's on in 20 minutes. You'll go and see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Rather than just constantly be on your feet and knackered. Yeah. And a bit too pissed. Yeah. So yeah, that's nice. We're it's having a balance of it, isn't it? Because yeah. there is still, you know, you can wander around still and things will pop up. Things will just happen on the streets that you might not have. You might not have got a program, and that's yeah. fine. That's a great thing about having like outdoor art, street theatre. That you know that kind of work. It works so well because loads of people do stumble upon it. You know, there's people there have got their program and they're looking at okay, and that's great. Mm. I love that. You know, you got audiences. Each year, what I've noticed is people more and more turn up earlier for the shows and they're waiting. Yeah. So they know they've read the program, they've gone through it, they've made choices of what to see. That was a really important thing. In 2015, the programme for Freedom Festival didn't really describe all the acts, it just described a few things Mm. and had names of companies but not a description. And I found that really strange because in a previous life as a performer, I used to tour a lot around the world at festivals and as a performer, I guess it's an egotistical thing, but you want to make sure that you're you know your show is listed in that program so you feel that people have come to see you yeah it's it's that bit so for artists it's really important but also what i what i was saying to the team was you want a conversation with the public to start when they look at the website and look at the program you want to give them the opportunity to make a decision of what to go and see Mm. and then encourage people to take a risk but if you just have a load of names it's a bit of a different experience isn't it i want people to go no i like that it sounds like that thing i saw last year i'll go and see that so that was an important shift, I think, as well. I hope that's working. I think it's working. It's a tricky thing, isn't it, being an artistic director? I mean, I'm, there's, there has to be a level of, well, I think this will work. Mm-hmm. You know, I travel a lot to other festivals and I see work and I think that'll be brilliant for Hull. Mm. Or it'll be brilliant in the context of the stuff that we want to explore in terms of themes. Mm. Because underneath it, 
is a load of themes in the programme. I don't talk about them that often publicly. Mm -hmm. Some of them you start to see come out in some of the copy and PR. Mm -hmm. So I might see something in a little festival in Belgium and go, yes, it's looking at loneliness or old people in society. Yeah, I'm I want to. I want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of choosing things that you think that's just a brilliant show there's 2,000 people watching it all screaming and clapping yeah mm. we should probably bring, try and bring that that's yeah, an yeah. amazing piece of work then there's moments which I find really amusing where I might not like it mm -hmm. I look at this audience wherever I am and I think well they're loving it mm. and it's not all about what I like it's about how you balance that with not populism or yeah it's a funny balance but I think running through it there has to be a dare I say a bit of ego in the role to go no I'm convinced this is going to work mm. and I think you know 20 years of working in the festival you've seen a lot of stuff you know what's good and you know what's mediocre mm. I hate mediocre I'm, I'm terrible I don't I just People often you know, say, well, you know, you could have programmed more fluffy chickens on stilts. I'm not interested in fluffy chickens mm. on stilts. Someone else can do that. Yeah. That's fine. That's eye candy and that's all right. And nothing wrong with fluffy chickens on mm. stilts. But I would rather present a program where every single thing is either a virtuosic performance, mm. it's amazing skill, or it's the idea is brilliant, mm -hmm. or the technique is brilliant. So everybody on it goes, wow, that was, that was really extraordinary. Because people do notice the difference. Mm. You know, and there's enough. There's so much mediocre in the world. I think so. so. If you do travel around, you see things. You think, oh, that was in Hull. I thought, I yeah, Hull had commissioned that. Yeah, it's like the. I don't want to sort of trash the poppies, but you know the poppies coming from the window. Mm. I mean, that was originally done on a huge scale at the Tower of London. Yeah, and we sort of got a knockdown version. Then I saw in the media that it'd been done elsewhere. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, it probably didn't cost a lot. You know, it was free and all the rest of it. But oh, let's let's stick it there for a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know? and I just thought. Less flattering if it's not, if it's just, oh, that'll work anywhere. Yeah. I'll stick it in a van, stick it there for a couple of weeks, and, you know. Yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? I mean, we're commissioning more and more now every year, mm. and uh, we do it in different ways. So, one, one way, like for instance, there's a project with Broken Orchestra and Vicky Foster. Oh, looking forward to that. Yeah, That's me great, too. Yeah. And it was great because they came to me and said, We want to do an audio walking tour. Okay, brilliant. What are you thinking? And I'm like, yeah, okay, these ideas. And I said, actually, I'm really interested in taking the audience to the river and walking on the river, and I'm really interested in kind of digital technology and public mm. space and how you, particularly things like that. Mm. And it was a really great meeting with them of going, okay, well, I'm definitely interested in the idea. I would love to work with you guys. You do, you know, brilliant music producers, love what you do. I can mm. see that you would make a really beautiful soundscape, but would there be text? Would there be, how would that work? And we mm. talked about it quite a lot. And because it fit into another ambition of trying to take people to different areas in the city so like, like the idea of the river using the river more the maritime ambitions in the city and go okay well what I'd like to do with Freedom Festival is a program and commission work which looks at maritime in a slightly different way to something like that it's not necessarily about the maritime history of Hull but because your experience will be along that river corridor of course it's going to feel about Hull this river's tug is umbilical and the cord pulls like rough rope through the fingers eyes open on in between tethers loosed in air and water turn back on red brick sky of sharp cut glass muddy slick of clouds, a bowline hitch of asphalt and steel spreads itself out in slip of brown, cracked sepia landscape in turbid water, twig and branch and silt slide by. So there's some work which is commissioned very directly. And then what we also do is we're part of one big national network with 10 other festivals right. and part of a European wide network as well where we co-commission work together. Mm -hmm. So by putting X amount of money on the table times 10, mm -hmm. then you've got a big pot of money to commission artists better. Mm -hmm. So that work would go, would tour between right. different places and then yeah. you've got some work which, as you say, is made specifically for this place. Yeah. And then I guess there's a tricky bit there because something that I'm very passionate about is supporting artists and whether it be mentoring artists helping them with a funding application going okay 
what do you want to do? Do you want to tour the world? All right, if you do, you need to understand this is the market you're playing in. Yeah. This is your competition. Mm-hmm. I can plug you into these touring networks, but you know, your work has, this is the business of touring art. So if you're commissioning work, which is just a one-off, is that supportive enough? So there's this funny balance. Mm-hmm. So for example, with that Broken Orchestra project, what I really want to happen next is for them to pull that off during the festival mm-hmm. and then for other programmers to see it and then go, well, those artists did an amazing job of that audio thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can commission them to do something in Glasgow mm-hmm. or in Bristol, which is yeah. the same along a river. So it's trying to sort of find work where you can commission something specific to a place, but it's also got the possibility to go elsewhere because then that's a double benefit for the artists. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, commissioning in that way is a balance. Yeah. I think, like you say about something like the poppies, it's always trick, isn't it? If it feels like a sort of knockdown version of it, just did to me because I, I, I did see the poppies in London. Yeah, and it was just such a, it was, it was so huge. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And then to sort of see, it was it was quite well executed out of that window. But I just thought, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree. Did I, we I, really? Well, even November, you know what I mean? It's like, it felt odd. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, especially after the blade. Which was genius, just absolutely brilliant, absolutely genius. And I think that for me, you know, if there's an, if there's a kind of inspirational pinnacle of what like work in public space, that was just, <laughs> it was so brilliant. It was. And there's a kind of narrative, isn't there, as well? Because it, 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 you get that moment where it's there, but there was also this other narrative about it coming through the night, and mm. you know, the projections all leave, and then overnight this thing gets, and it's the biggest land landload that had been driven in the country or something crazy. Yeah. And that whole film of them actually putting it in overnight, and then you literally go to work the next day, and like, what the, is that? what's that? It, it you was know, I wasn't there yesterday. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it, it was great. And it was, it was probably kept the secret as well. It was really great, wasn't it? it was yeah. really, I spent a lot of time wandering around. <laughs> For that, that time it was there, I'd kind of just wander over there and just stand there with a coffee and just listen to people chatting about, yeah. is it art? Is this art? Ah, well, that's, yeah. It's it's really, it was really, it was really, yeah. And whatever, it, you know, I think it was loved for different reasons. Yeah. Whether you could kind of just say, I'm not sure how, I, how to express it, but I'm glad it's here for a little while. Yeah, and it was really and audacious. In, in literally the biggest possible terms, this is our future. This is yeah. This is what we're going to be now. You know? Yeah. That's what it meant to me, I thought. Yeah, I got that as well. And there was a lot of people talking about that, about this, this is what we're doing now. We're building this now. Do you know, it was yeah. sounded by hand and people really, that thing of this is people in Holland and making these blades. Yeah. And that for me is a very, that is one of the best examples of art in public space, which makes sense of the place where it's in. Yeah. Which is kind of back to your the poppies and about how, is it, is it a commission for that place or is it a touring thing? Sometimes it can work both, you know. Yeah. There's things that, there's things I see and I think, I see, it was a piece I brought in 2016, I put by the Tidal Barrier, kind of sound installation with these sort of kinetic sonic sculptures. Yeah. I saw it in Oxford in a very nice kind of grounds, of a very nice, mm. you know, it was a bit weird, it was totally different. Mm. And I remember thinking, looking at it there and thinking, this would be amazing next to the tidal barrier because mm. you get this sense of engineering. Of yeah, kind I remember of, that. It was great. And it was really, and that was a really interesting one to listen to conversations. It's got, that's what I do during the weekend: is just listen to people talking about stuff. And there was a lot. What I noticed with that, well, there was a lot of older men, particularly who obviously had some kind of engineering or sort of fabricating background, mm. who were really fascinated by the the kinetics. How does it work? You know, yeah. and they really appreciated the sound and the kind of the, the music of it. But they were also really excited by how did someone make that? How did it, and it's made me think a lot about that ever since, of how can we bring work which, for people who are shipbuilders and fabricators and makers, and there's a whole load of artistic work, which it's makers working with artistic ideas, and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I'm always looking for that kind of thing, mm-hmm. a kind of structural stuff where people are really intrigued by how do you make it? Because mm. that's something I was... Um, I'm going off on lots of tangents, but right. I was so very lucky. Year, <laughs> I was, years ago, when I was making work, we we were supported quite a lot by the French system, and part of the French system is that they've got lots of creation centres across France, like national creation centres right. for work in public space. So big kind of warehouse buildings, or we used to make trains, and now it's been converted to a kind of artist making space. Right. All those big giants that you see, and they're made somewhere. You know yeah. what I mean, so you need these spaces to to make work and rehearse and to live. And when, I, when we were working in France a lot, I realised that engineers, welders, fabricators, carpenters, they are artists. In the French 
way they're seen as artists. Mm. You know, you can't make the Giants that went to Liverpool. The guy, the director of that company, had an idea on the back of a tissue paper. Mm. I've seen this sketch of the first Giants. But then he's working with amazing makers, and he goes, "Can you make that?" Yeah. Okay, it was his idea, but it was those guys who made that amazing giant girl that was in Liverpool, or the yeah. spider. Or, it was the engineers. Wow. And I think we have a, I don't know why, but in, uh, it's a kind of, I'm not an expert in the kind of fabrication industry, but I, I, it, it concerns me that people who work with those kind of skills aren't seen as creative or aren't seen as artists. Mm. Well, you know, I'm sure in, in some ways they might, you know, the way they're working, but I want those people to be involved in the arts more. Mm. So by putting that kind of work, it might inspire someone who's at the moment are doing fabrication with steel. Mm. If we need someone locally to make it, and would they work with a kind of bonkers French artist to make this installation about, I don't know. So yeah. it's something, there's lots of sort of angles I'm always looking for when it comes to trying to, I guess the ultimate aim is, can art just be fundamental to society? Is that all right? Is that okay? You know, yeah. does it have to be for someone else? This whole, and that's the great thing with outdoor arts and things like Freedom Festival is if you put it in the streets, then it's in a democratic space in that way. It's not in a, there's nothing wrong with galleries, and we do put stuff in galleries too, of course. But there's something about working in public space and, and just people aren't so scared of it. They'll engage with it more. Yeah. And I find the more and more challenging the work I programme with the festival, the more people are engaged. Mm. They're, not, they're not turning away from it. They're more, they want to know more about this show. What's it about? It's mm. about mental health. It's about, and it's trying to find that kind of work where it means something to a lot of people, but it has that quality. And it also really subtly just makes people, without even telling them, it's like, no, you do like contemporary dance. We just didn't tell you that's what it was. Because you probably wouldn't go and see it in a theatre because it sounds a bit yeah. elitist well, and pretentious. I know in theatre, when people are questioned why don't they go to the theatre more, yeah. there's a grail of getting younger people to the theatre. It's just, mm. they're intimidated by the kind of red velvet or just the environment which yeah. feels, it's just like, that's not designed for them. Yeah. Whereas the streets, that is the democratic... It's our space. That's, that's everyone's space. space. So, you know, they, they can feel comfortable there. Yeah. And they can leave at any point. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. they've, they've lost nothing. What I love about the Freedom Festival, something that struck me, it's been going for 12 years now. Yeah. And there were kids who probably came age three or four. And that is their, they're used to that. That's their standard diet. Mm. They've, they've been kind of mm. reared on that. Mm. People like me, a lot older, that's, it's a new thing. It's a new and exciting thing. Mm. But the, some kids, are just, that's going to be their expectation of, what public art is, yeah, which is a terrifically exciting thing, I think, yes. for Hull, yeah, because they've that's all they've been used to over the years, yeah. Um, so I suppose you, in terms of it being a program, you can take more risk because you know people have been sort of conditioned in a way. I go back to that because they were quite clever. Oh, it was really good with the hindsight. So the the trust employed me in. I started in June 2015, mm -hmm. and so at the end of August 2015 was the last. Uh, edition of the festival produced by Walter Plank. Mm -hmm. They did a great job for a few years, you know, running the festival. So I had the terrifying but brilliant um, opportunity to see the festival live while, you know, literally on the Monday sort of them being announced, you know, as it were, whatever, that yeah. didn't really matter. But it was really, what I found was just brilliant, I'll never forget it, is everywhere I went, watching the shows, I just saw this audience who were just totally fixed and totally committed, really, really just watching. And in some of the pieces of work, tricky to see, presented in weird locations, mm -hmm. you know, in a kind of nerdy way, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't yeah, put it there, yeah. that was a bit of a, you know, all the sight lines are terrible. But wherever I went, even if someone could just watch an ear, a corner of an ear of one of the dancers, they were just there for the whole 45 minutes mm -hmm. watching it. And I remember at that moment thinking, Oh, this is amazing. This audience are totally into this. Mm. And they really want to watch it. They want it. They want to see this stuff. They want their... So you're right. They've been kind of got... But they haven't got used to it. There's a real curiosity mm. here. And a really openness to watching stuff. Yeah. And artists, it's really funny talking to artists about it because a lot of artists who present have, you know, touring all over the world. And they come to Hull. And I remember last year talking to a, an artist called Fraser Hooper. who's a comedy show that he did. A clown mm. show. And by the by the evening of the first day he's been performing, he's getting loads of emails into his, through his website from the audiences in Hull that have just seen him two hours ago thanking him for the show. Oh, wow. He's shown me his emails and going, he said, I've never, I've never gone anywhere in the world where that happens. So people are really, they're really attentive, they're really curious, but they're also really appreciative that these artists have come 
to the city to give them their show. And I yeah. think that's that's amazing. And I yeah. hope we can maintain that. Cause I guess that's a difficult. You don't want it to ever get to a point where people are like, oh yeah, 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 I've seen this. Come on, yeah, entertain. And I don't think I have. I don't think people of Hull just aren't like that. I think. So. I mean, I don't think it would have survived. You know, because we love we love to complain. You know, <laughs> about the perceived waste of money, but. Of course. Well, people do, they, they come, they bring the kids, like on a Sunday or whatever, it's different, obviously, days. Yeah. But I think people are used to it, not in a, not in a sort of complacent way where they're, they're expecting it, or it's like, oh, let's just go down there. They know how it's going to make them feel. Yeah. They, they know they can have a really good day out, and they know there'll be something, and they don't know what it'll be, but it'll give them a certain feeling of excitement that they've felt in the last, over the course of the last sort of few years. Yeah. So I think that's the sort of condition I, I think I mean. Um, in terms of the expectation yeah um, and long may that continue but I guess that's your job in sort of constantly serving up new surprises but you know keeping the you know keeping the spirit been the a, atmosphere yeah the same yeah. you know, been aware of the, yeah. the spirit of it but it is important like you say it has to have surprises and it has to I don't I mean you could you know, it's a funny one isn't it some people would be like well I really liked the show last year can you bring it back again mm. No, because yeah. there's another show you haven't seen yet, mm. which you're going to really love as well. Mm. If I keep bringing the same things back, then you're not going to see this. You know, there's there's, this, there's such a massive amount of work out there, so it's tricky, yeah. isn't it? Because you have to be aware of what is it that's working. And I think there is those fundamental things. That's why I said about Queen's Gardens and that hub. Mm. You need that sort of hub, those kind of areas. You need that music stage mm -hmm. and that vibe in the evening. People expect large-scale spectacular work at night. Mm -hmm. That is the most tricky bit, to be quite honest. Mm. To be absolutely honest about it, in two ways. One is financially, mm. is those big shows cost a fortune. Mm. And as things, more and more people come, your production budgets are going up. It's like, that's, you know, mm. the trickiness of a festival like that is, yes, love working in public space. I wouldn't, you know, I always have and I think I always will, but... There's a reason why theatres are quite easy to use because mm. it's all in there. Yeah. So we're building, you know, theatres outside. We're building it. So a lot of that infrastructure, a lot of that cost, it, it, it's tricky to maintain. And the large shows are brilliant because for me, it often doesn't matter about the show. It's the moment of five, six, seven, ten thousand people, whatever, all standing in public space together, yeah, I think that's watching it. something. Yeah, that is that. That's what large scale. I think that's work, the essence think, of it's the essence of freedom for me. Yeah, people coming together. Yeah, and um, we, we live lives now where we work remotely. We yep. we're on Twitter. We communicate behind a screen and stuff. But uh, and less and less we do we come together. We don't shop together anymore. Town mm -hmm. centres are sort of dying a lot. Yeah. Um. So I think that's those moments become really special. They like do. you said, whatever it is, it's just the fact that you're there in the dark with something phenomenal yeah. and dangerous going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this year particularly. Wow. <laughs> um, but it's tricky because then artistically, the reality out there is that though a lot of the work that we, we're presenting, and the show we're presenting this year is 31 years old. Oh, wow. Bivouac, which is a, it's a French company, amazing. One of the kind of long-standing French companies called Generic Vapeur from Marseille. They made this show in late 80s, early 90s, so 31 years. Um, it's been a long week, I couldn't do any maths right now. <laughs> it was in response to an oil spill off the coast of Marseille. So what you see in the show is loads of oil drums and these kind of blue punks with absolutely off buildings. It's kind of this punky, mm. brilliant. And the live band on a truck that's put following it, it's brilliant, it's a brilliant show. I saw it again a couple of years ago and I thought, you know what, this show is more important now in the UK than it was 30 years ago because we need a bit of punk. Mm. We need to take to the streets a bit. It's comical, mm. but it's done in such a way it's got a kind of punky, fiery sort of feeling to mm. it. So even though that show is 31 years old, it kind of changes because the context around it changes. So by bringing that to hold this year, it's not that like this is a new thing which I've it's actually one of the longest touring shows in the kind of outdoor arts world. Never been to Hull. Right. Only played twice in the UK. Okay. And the other place was something I was involved in as well in Great Yarmouth of all places. Right. Because okay. it's you know, and it's funny how I look at, I look for this large scale work and. She knew she would. She knew she would. <laughs> and one of the problems I think with with looking for that large work is there's not there's not a new generation of artists making that scale of work. Right. It's really difficult mm. because where do you store this massive stuff? Yeah, yeah. In you know, thirty years ago you had loads of companies all across Europe making massive work because mm. property was cheap. You yeah. could have a farm, you could have a barn somewhere. So it's tricky. And that's the bit I think if I was to be absolutely honest about the next bit moving forward, it's how to maintain those nighttime programs where 
you've got thousands of people together, but I don't want it just to be for the hell of it, I want it to be really good work. Yeah. So if that work doesn't exist, how do you create another environment where thousands of people are together? Mm. So this year, there's a couple of shows at early evening, they played to like a thousand people. Yeah. And I like the idea of a kind of balance of a big show, at one point in the weekend, or in the nine days, if we ever get there, mm. and then having an evening programme where you can go, there's a choice of five or six shows that are for like a thousand people at a time. Mm. Because actually, there's loads of work which works really well at night, but it's quite intimate. Mm. You don't want 10,000, it won't work 10,000 people. No. So how do you start to split your audiences a little bit? Mm. And we were quite lucky in 2017 because we had a bit of extra investment from City of Culture, so it allowed me to be able to programme more of a programme at night. Mm. And it was starting, I, really, I saw that really working, and it's trying to get that balance right at the moment. Mm. I think that's the, that's the biggest challenge yeah. for the next couple of years. I want to talk about, going, I want to take, take you back and sort of find out where you started. Because I know you've been working for 20 years, it says on the website, you've been working <laughs> festivals for 20 years. Yeah. But how did you get into that? I mean, was it something you, you say you were a performer first, is that how you got into sort of yeah. a lot of arts I festivals? I totally stumbled into it. I, I, was, I was brought up in Cornwall. Yeah. Uh, I left when I was 16, so I thought, I had enough. Even though I'm from St. Ives, everyone's like, oh, why do you leave St. Ives? Yeah, you don't know that when you're a kid and you're, you know, yeah. you want to go. You, you do, don't you, when you go, if you've got that kind of adventurous sort of spirit. And I ended up in London a couple of years past doing this, that and the other and then I got quite into, I got quite obsessed with juggling as you, you know, as a nerdy teenager or whatever. So I used to hang out in Covent Garden quite a lot and I used to hang out on a, on a juggling stall, like a stall in the market, I used yeah. to sell juggling balls and what have you. I got to know this guy, brilliant guy Rob Lane and we became friends and as he'd bugger off for lunch and I'd look after the stall and it's sort of like that, you know, just kind of slightly hippie kid from Cornwall hanging around this stall in London and then, and then he, he he said, I'm going, I'm going travelling to India, of course, you know, yeah. it was those times. And he, um, he buggered off for three months and I took his job. So then I spent those three months working in Covent Garden, getting to know all the street performers. Mm. And I was literally across the way from the West Piazza in Covent Garden, watching street performers. And in between shows, I'd come and hang out on my stool. And then eventually, I was juggling a lot and teaching a lot of juggling. I was into that kind of part of it. And one of them was like, why don't you do a, do a show? And I don't know that. And that's how I started. So right. I started street performing in Covent Garden. I'd literally, one of the performers would look after my stall for an hour, mm. and I, you know, you have to book your pictures in kind of thing. And I'd go and do my show mm. on the West Piazza, then come back to my actual paid job. Yeah. So I kind of learnt the hard way by being a busker in Covent Garden. And it went well. And I, you know, I, it wasn't, didn't go well from the first show. You know, it took a little while to get that yeah. right. And then I then toured all over the world with a busking show. And I started getting invited to festivals and what have you. So I, then I kind of found myself in this international festival world, touring all over, lots of work in Australia and Canada and all over Europe, and it was brilliant, really brilliant. And then as I got more bookings and more agents and what have you, and got more, didn't have to ask for money, basically. Yeah. Then the show became a little bit more artistic and not so directed to the finale and mm. the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got really... Yeah, then that went... You know, so I became part of companies, set up a company, did loads of big shows, small shows. And I was really obsessed with festivals and how, especially when you tour a lot and how you see the impact a festival has on a place. Mm -hmm. You go back five years later to that weird part of a town in, in northern France and, mm -hmm. and then you see how much it's changed and you're like, wow, God, that festival had a real impact and now they've got this public art and they've got a, a kind of art cafe and there's a creation centre and people are making work here. And so I got really, I, I became very passionate about what, not just what art in public space can do to a community, but the way that festivals evolve and how much effect they have on the place where they are. Mm. All the things we're talking about, community, yeah. all that stuff. So I literally started on the street mm. and then I stopped performing in 2007. I was at that point, I was mainly working in a double act, um, which was very successful on tour for about 10 years, this kind of outdoor comedy show. And we had an amazing tour. Like, okay, let's stop now. That's you know, it's never going to get any better than that. It was right. Melbourne, Montreal. It was like all the best. And I'm like, right, that's it. Let's be, let's quit while we're ahead, sort of thing. And at the same time, I was making a piece of work that I was developing with a, a kind of collective, which was basically like a Western film set, like right. a facade of a street. And I was obsessed with this idea of making a show where the audience would arrive and they'd know it was a fake street and they'd kind of come into the middle and all these characters would appear in windows and this sort of story would come out. And I never made the show. 
did loads of developments on it, spent quite a lot of funding on it, tested loads of bits out. And then I sort of slowly moved away from the idea of performing and got asked to help program a festival in Winchester. Um, and then about a year later, one of the producers that had been helping me to develop that show, he came to the festival in Winchester and went, so you did it then? He said, you made the show. He said, Mikey, you were trying to make a street. You know, now you've got a street. Right. Why don't you, what were you doing? What were you thinking? You, would, you know, what you really want to do is program a festival. Mm. You know, now you've got a street to play with. And it was a really lovely sort of realisation that I'm still doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I still feel like it's one big performance. You know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I fix the programme, I look at it in a slightly weird sort of puppeteer kind of way. Even I'm a real nerd about the schedule because I imagine like looking at it from above and think, okay, so someone's seen this show and that was a funny thing. So what we need now is something a bit more challenging. So that one comes that way. So I still feel like I'm designing one big production but I'm not in it anymore which right. is much better because <laughs> it's, it's better to have a cast of <laughs> yeah. 50 amazing companies Good your system but yeah so I really did start yeah as a busker yeah and you know if it all goes wrong then I can always just get back out of Big Square and make a bit of money this is it <laughs> um, my next question on my sheet says based on your vast experience what makes a great arts festival or event you've sort of answered that really but in terms it's of essence. all those things, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said before, about place. There's something, and it's not the same everywhere. You know, there's nothing wrong with a a festival which just sort of drops into a place and the shows just work. But I think I'm very, very lucky. I'm really lucky to have been offered this job. I mean, to have for all that experience leading up to coming here in 2015, to be given the opportunity to program a festival where they want to talk about something meaningful underneath it. Mm. So. I think now my answer to that has probably changed a bit from how I would have answered that in 2014-15. I think it has an identity. I think the best festivals have a kind of identity. Mm. It doesn't have to be like a theme, like an obvious theme, but it makes sense of the place that it's in. And I think by having more and more work in the programme, the talks programme is really important. Mm. The teenager project is happening at the moment, which is just brilliant, but it's quite subtle in the programme. But underpinning the spectacular and the big entertainment and the, all that stuff is a through line of work which looks at what does freedom mean in today's kind of contemporary society that's how I look at it because we don't talk about freedom we talk about the barriers to freedom and we look at those isolation loneliness racial bias democracy responsibility all those things so I think if a festival can have a real sense of place and that might be architectural or it might be slightly more emotional than that and I would like to think that Freedom Festival kind of has that because a lot of people who come, they, they, know, it's, they know it starts as a commemoration of Wilberforce and the Anti-Slavery Act. They know it means something to this city. Mm-hmm. I guess if you go to school here, you learn about Wilberforce. So people, so instantly, no matter how, how deeply they're thinking about it, they go, this is our festival. Mm-hmm. So I think that gives it an extra emotional sort of relationship with the audience a bit. It's not... It's not just sort of dropped in. Mm. Whereas something like a kind of... We could well have a kind of big winter light festival in Hull in the next couple of years. Leeds, Durham, mm. Oldham, everywhere. Mm. For me, it's not enough. Yeah, we could have a big winter light festival, but it needs to make sense of Hull. It needs to be about the place and make sense of a place. So I guess it's variety of experiences, really quality programme, risk within that programme. Mm-hmm. A festival that's not afraid to sort of to, to bring up really important points mm-hmm. because I think we talked before about public space and you were saying about how those like those kids have grown up with it for 12 years so therefore do, then, do we then have a duty to really say something because mm. I kind of I like, I like that mm-hmm. I like that idea I like the, that if you've got 130 odd thousand people coming to hang out over a couple of days mm-hmm. Then can we say something, or do we are we just going to entertain and distract? Yeah, because I think there's a lot of stuff at the moment that we need to talk about. Well, <laughs> so um, that's important, you know. Yeah, so, I've got yeah. A, a question which I've I've asterisk because I wasn't sure about asking, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> oh, it's no, it's, it's well, it's about you know, it's kind of related to where we are in the world. Fucking yeah. asking now. Um, so Hull is a Europe-facing port. Yeah, and. We're about to, it looks like we're about to leave the EU. Yeah. And we live in a world where people are receding behind national boundaries and borders and they want to build those borders up. Yeah. And they're been encouraged and egged on by politicians to sort of be more inward looking and protective. 
Freedom is an international outward looking festival. You, you bring the world to Hull yeah. and you project Hull out into the world through commissions and it's a reciprocal sort of thing. Yeah. You arrived in 2015, the world has changed dramatically since then. Yeah. How do you curate a festival in that atmosphere, in that sort of uh, climate? It's really tricky. It's really tricky and I, and I will never think we've done enough. You know, I never think we've. It's kind of, at the moment, the internationalism of the festival is fundamental and that was from 2016 so that was that was very important to me was we have to have an international program of artists coming to this city part of that is about the quality and the variety of the work it is you know it is a french company are different to a belgian different to a uk so i wanted that mix of different styles and different sort of flavors and ideas but i also wanted people to embrace the fact that these artists have come from all over the world like I was saying before about Fraser, getting those emails at the end of the day, and an Australian company in 2016, having people coming up to the end saying, have you really come from Australia? Yeah, we have. We haven't come directly to Hull and back. We've got, yeah. We're on tour. And people really appreciating. So I think that, I hope, helps a little bit mm. to make people think, oh, maybe Australia's all right. Or my, I, I, you know. So internationalism is really important in terms of the diversity of the programme and the kind of work that you're seeing and the conversations that people might just have on a one-to-one -one level with that artist, that's important. And then it's back to these kind of themes. So it's, I, I don't think, I think, I think the arts sector sometimes is really, it's, it's too much in a silo and that really worries me and I've really seen that and that reaction to Brexit was quite full on from the arts world. Was there, was this whole, there was a load of sort of emotional wrangling straight up oh we haven't done enough mm. why is the arts not has not made you know how, how how can this have happened we should have stopped this no mm. you're, you're just a part of society mm. arts is just a small is a part and if it if it operates too much in a bubble i think that's dangerous mm. so what i'm also trying to do is all the time is to kind of to come outside of the arts and go okay how are we working with academic institutions how are we working with human rights how are we working i talked about fabricators some projects for next year where i really want to work with industry and so I've been trying to sort of break that barrier a little bit or that boundary a bit because I think that will also help for people to to see other people differently. Mm -hmm. It feels like the biggest problem we've got with all this just bonkers rhetoric, I mean it's just insane isn't it at the moment, yeah. is you know fundamentally I really really believe this is that everybody is good mm. and then we get conditioned for our life, okay things happen and difficult situations, things happen but intrinsically we're all quite good and we're quite welcoming and we're quite and a place like Hull as you say historically is always been a welcoming place because people have been, been coming and going and yeah, coming and going it's our job really isn't it it's yeah. support yeah. yeah and so how do you remind people of that without without waving a kind of oh the arts will solve no it no. won't so it's trying to find those little things and one of the big things for me is responsibility in terms of democracy it's you have to take responsibility for your actions. Mm -hmm. And I understand why lots of people voted to leave, and I get it, I really get it, and I don't think it is as simple as, as them and are. It's not, it's so complicated. And of course, loads of places around the country have had three generations of unemployment, and it was the first time they had an opportunity to vote against the man, as it were. Mm -hmm. It was the wrong man to vote against. Okay, we know that now, and I'm sure a lot of people who did vote probably might change their mind. So what's the problem there? So you have to learn about taking responsibility for your actions. So how do we do that within the festival programme? It's tricky. Mm. Teenager project is really interesting. And, that's, and there's a whole load of this going on at the moment we're working on the next couple of years. Is How do we work with young people and empower them to understand that it's up to them? Mm. Not just ride the wave of Greta Thunberg and no, but actually go, all right, Hull, all right, teenagers in Hull. We're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to be invited in this year doing these bonkers projects, mm. night walks with teenagers, home tours. And then on Sunday, there's a panel discussion in the Big Top called Asking for the Moon. And there's myself and Jenny from the festival, so directors of the festival. And then you've got uh, Councillor Hales from the council, you've got the chief of police, and you've got someone from youth services. And the young people, after three weeks of working on these projects, are going to basically ask these adults in positions of responsibility for change and what they want. And then we, in a public forum, we agree, a copy book paper, you know, it's all signed and sealed, and we explain why it might take longer for that to happen or not. We don't know what they're going to ask. So these kind of projects, I think, are really fundamental to just, for the teenagers, but also for the 400 people watching, 
to see people negotiating. So something about, I think we've lost, I think a lot of people have lost the, the kind of habit of, or the understanding of how to negotiate, mm. how to kind of compromise mm. through life, how to, how to debate, how to listen to the other side. So it's trying to, I'm trying to look at it in that way of how do we, what are the really intrinsic things that, in my opinion, have gone spectacularly wrong? Mm. And I think part of it is no one's listening to the other person's opinion or you're allowing, okay, if I'm really true to this, then we need to allow the voice of the far right to be sitting with the left. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how do you get that right? And it, so for me, it's all, it's all within this, this fundamental thing about a festival is a place where a community comes together. It's a temporary community. Okay, there's people within it that know each other and there's lots of strangers. So when they're there, what are you going to say? How are you going to guide that experience? How are you going to throw some controversial interventions into public space to make people think about a particular topic? And how are you going to just try and create this... I, I think it's like there's a subtext underneath the festival that people will just start to feel. And I've really noticed that in the last couple of years. And we've been, you know, we've been really lucky with the weather and all sorts of things. But little projects are making a difference. The carnival is a really interesting one, where this project, okay, we're going to do a carnival, okay. Afro-Caribbean society are kind of leading on it, and when we spoke about it, I said, okay, but what is a carnival of Hull? I mean, let's not try and be Rio. We're not Rio, you know. Yeah. Let's not try and be Notting Hill. Mm. What is it that we want this carnival to do? To, and actually, over the last couple of years, what, what's happened is you've now got all these different community groups represented. So this year, the Chinese are now involved, and then the, the Hindu Women's Society are now on board. So you're gonna, it's like a carnival of whole. Mm. And what you see on that parade is the real cultural diversity of this great city. Mm. And again, I hope there might be someone in that audience who didn't realise how diverse Hull was. And they might find themselves looking, clapping and cheering the costumes and the sort of atmosphere and they might, maybe, just maybe, later on in life, think differently about that other person that they saw. Yeah. I don't know, it's hard. Because well, like I said, I don't think the arts can do it in isolation. You, but you do what you can if you see people dressed in this phenomenal costume, expressing themselves on a float or in a parade or whatever. You see people at their best and their happiest. Yeah. And maybe if you bump Proud. into them, you know, a week later down Springbank or something, you think, I've seen you at your best. Yeah. We've we shared a space and a time where things were better, and, and yeah. we had a connection previously. Yeah, I mean, I remember there's a band I invited over in um, 2017, 47 Soul from there, so Syri uh, Palestinian and Jordanian, and they play electronica and funk, mm. you know. And I really I loved that because I, I could see a lot of people going, oh, oh, didn't realise they play funk. Yeah, they probably there's probably a bigger hip hop scene in Palestine as well. It's something about how do you how do you represent cultures with a bit of a twist. Mm. So people will think differently about that. Yeah, it's and really hard. Encountering each other sort of outside the prism of the media. Yeah. And that, that sort of controlled, um, you know, showing people in certain bad lights. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah you, you can be together in the street, seeing each other at your best, and you can make up your own decision, I suppose. Yeah, and, and if the atmosphere is correct around, like you spoke before about the spirit, the atmosphere, yeah. if we get that right, then that's exactly the right condition. So if you can somehow, if you've managed to attract a really diverse wide sort of socio-economic demographic and cultural demographic and racial demographic if you've got everybody is hanging together having a good time yeah then i think within that you get these little i hope yeah. little things shift people's perception of the other because mm. i think that's the biggest problem at the moment is we've got this bizarre i mean this whole the way that you know this anti-eu thing is being set up currently this week in terms of johnson and mm. Is snakes that are around him really the yeah. people versus the politicians really yeah. I mean and the EU are the bad guy I mean you know anyone with any ounce of intelligence can see right through what's going on but yeah. that's incredible I'm really noticing the, the change of the rhetoric you know it's not a second referendum now there might be a general election which is the people versus the politicians mm. what yeah. the con they've conspired with the EU I mean, this is it's, it's the language. mental it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's the yeah. Language, yeah it's getting worse and then, you know, we have to be brave enough to throw subject matters into the festival programme, which might make people think differently. And well, one day slavery is really important. You know, people see a negotiation happening before yeah. their eyes. Yeah. Because there's a lot of talk about, you know, EU and UK negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody really knows what actually happens there. No. You hear reports and sort of headlines and stuff, but 
the, the art of compromise, you know. Ultimately, that's what it will have to be. And that's ultimately one of the biggest lessons we learn in life, yeah. isn't it? Is we have to, how do we negotiate our way through these different situations and jobs yeah. and lives and relationships and mm. families and... I think that's the thing, and I, I never—I didn't have a university academic um, background at all, so I know I've never been in a debating society. Mm. I don't know how to debate in that kind of technical way, but yeah. I think everybody should, yeah, because actually that seems that's where a lot of it has been completely bonkers. Mm. They're not listening to the other other position. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think we try our best, and I think somewhere like Hull is a great. It's a great place to do all of this stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. I think for me that's the fundamental thing is this is the place where revolutions start. This is where change happens, not in London or in a big metropolis because it's just purely by scale. You know, Things start from the street. They start, you know, we talk about roots up, we talk about all these things, look at Hong Kong. Mm. You know, it, I think this is the perfect place. Not saying that Freedom Festival is you know, inciting a revolution, but be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think this is the right place to have that, those conversations. I really do. The media will ask about numbers, audience yeah. figures, all those sort of tangible things. But we, we've talked about the the deeper benefits. And I think that's the real ongoing legacy of, of, of a festival like this. Mm. You know, who knows what the, the figures were in 2015. They'll be on a spreadsheet somewhere. But you go, ah, oh, I felt that at half six on a Friday mm. night or whatever. You know, mm. that's, that's the real legacy. And the kids growing up seeing these amazing things. And there's, there's wider stuff, because we, you know, we talk a lot about community engagement. It's, and it's, again, it's a, something that the arts, I think, is very guilty of obsessing over quite a lot. Mm. But what's happening through the year is interesting too, because some of those, like the Carnival Project, perhaps started four or five months ago, you know, those yeah. workshop stuff. So there's a lot of projects that we're doing. You don't see the bit leading into the festival. So the festival also has quite a big presence depending on what those projects are and what the focus is, mm-hmm. all year round there's little things happening all the time. Right. And it's difficult because that is the invisible story in the background that we can't, we don't really shout about, we don't want to quantify it with numbers and economic yeah. impact and all the rest of it. But I think that's also very important. So what is an arts organisation behind a festival like mm. Freedom Festival? There's loads of different festivals and there's, you know, there's loads of different models. We are the most ridiculously difficult business model you could possibly want mm. so we have to work really hard to raise lots of funding and give it all away give the festival away for free okay you know all right some of that funding we wouldn't get if it wasn't free it's, it's all these things but there's a question which we're really wrangling with at the moment is what are we as an arts organization because we have this big public facing moment of course and it's fantastic and we're all we're working towards that but I'm already developing projects for next year. So we're always working in a kind of more year to year kind of way. So the organisation behind it is not really a festival organisation. It's like if we had a theatre, yeah. we'd probably programme all of that over the year, but we you know, we do it in sort of five days this year. So there's something about how can we, when we're talking a lot with the city at the moment, how can we be of more benefit to the city actually? And I think the nine day model one of those, one of the, the things behind that is there's always great venues. I want to use all the venues. Mm. There was a hilarious thing last year, Van Morrison being on Thursday night during Freedom Festival. <laughs> you know, there was, they were, Bonus Arena was new, there's no reason why we would have had a conversation about it, but it didn't sell out. And mm. I talked to the you know, guys at Bonus Arena, it was like, if it was in the programme, you know you would have, you'd have got that extra few hundred people yeah. that you might have needed to sell out doesn't need to be that's cool because actually what you what you want is a vibrant city where this is going on and there's that going on it doesn't all you know the, the festival shouldn't really take over the whole of the cultural program of whole for that period but somewhere in between that is how can we design a festival where this is the whole nine day thing as well where there's something in new theater then there's something in truck and there's something in the guild so you start to really use the city mm. Because then, again, more people are benefiting from it. There's audiences I know for absolutely for sure who go to the new theatre and they're very comfortable with that marketing and that diet of work they're, they're fed there, and that's great, it's a good programme. But they'll probably look at Freedom Festival and be a little bit freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. They're always a tent in the park. Yeah. You know, so there's an interesting thing about how do we bring in those audiences? Are they here already? Maybe, some of them. But I think a lot aren't. I think a lot... They, they see that as a theatre experience, but they're not, they haven't yet tasted the excitement of seeing Circa in a tent where you can see the sweat and you're right there. And it's not, you know, they, haven't, they haven't done that yet. Yeah. So I'm really interested in how can we be of more value 
to more people. Right. Yeah. And the community work and the artistic work as well, you know, supporting artists. There's great artists in Hull. Mm. And it's how do we, we can only, we're, we're a tiny team. So yeah. we're, we're trying to expand the team so we can have more producer support, so we can mentor and support artists better mm. all year round. So that, that's a big focus of ours. And then there's this thing about youth, which is getting more and more under my skin at the moment. Right. Teen Tyletarianism project is just amazing. I keep banging on about it, but part of it, which isn't in the program. They, they, all the teenagers came to my house last night and took over my house. So it's cool, and it's the Canadian artists that run it. So, chilling with the chief. Okay, nice Canadian thing. I've been a chief before. It's quite funny. <laughs> so they all rock up last night at seven o'clock. Twelve teenagers, two or three artists, are coming to my house. And they take over my evening. Basically, it was the most brilliant, inspiring, bonkers thing. And I woke up this morning, and it was it was mental. There was a lot of makeup and glitter, and a lot of pizzas, and it was very funny and really honest conversations for, from 14 to 19 year olds. And they are working every day on these projects at the moment. And I woke up this morning thinking, I, there's got to be a youth division. There's got to be something in our programming team, or something in the way we work, where, or, or on our board, or, or you know. Where's that voice? Because it was just, it just reminding me how funny, how brilliantly funny and curious teenagers are. And I think about the, you know, the artistic choices and stuff, and I think, oh, if they were given a little bit of budget, and what would they program, and how would they, how do we get them, how do we get their spirit in, into the festival? So I think that's another focus of mine moving forward is how do we, ex how do we expand our capacity so we can work with young people all year round and really bring them in to the festival in some way so they start making decisions because all the stuff we're talking about all well and good coming from another white 46 year old male isn't it do you know what I mean but it, it, yeah. I, we need to check ourselves yeah. you know and it's a tricky balance between mediocrity of programme experience making choices working in partnership but I've really realised that and I think this is also back to your point about the political situation we're in we have to have young voices making decisions because I think they're going to make better decisions. I really do. Yeah. What's your proudest moment so far, either here at Freedom or further back in time? Oh, I think well, I, I, it was a bit of a shock and all up in such a blur was um, interviewing Kofi Annan. 2017 yeah but it was the secret event we did in the morning that was the one it was we had a cohort of again it was 50 teenagers who we'd work we didn't it wasn't a public event on purpose it was in the tent on the saturday morning and we'd got these different groups of young people from different places and they'd all submitted questions and we'd selected the questions for a diverse range of questions not, 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 in, a, not in a judgmental way um, and then Kofi Annan rocks up in a tent in Queen's Gardens at 11 in the morning and hello Mikey hello Mr and you suddenly find yourself sitting on a stage with Kofi Annan but even better just fielding the teenagers questions mm. and sort of yeah I think that's one of my proudest moments there was just something about it's the way he dealt with these young people. Mm -hmm. There was even a question of, do you know Donald Trump and is there going to be a third world war? That was oh. one of the questions. And he managed to turn that around into this really positive, didn't at all like slate Donald Trump. He mm -hmm. said something along the lines of, Donald Trump's a businessman, he's still quite new to politics. He, knows, he needs to learn a little bit about negotiation and about how to work in partnership. But as a leader, blah, 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 yeah. and it was just this... I'm, there was something about hearing someone like Kofi Annan, God, God bless him. You know, he died a year later, yeah. which was crazy. You know, crazy. But that that moment of seeing how, in an event like Freedom Festival, 11 in the morning in a tent in Hull, you got 50 teenagers of one of the global leaders having a really lovely conversation about empowerment. Yeah. So yeah, because that kind of proved all that stuff we've been talking about yeah. it was like there it is and it was small and it was intimate and it wasn't a big public thing and I think that was I think that that was that was a big moment for me is there a dream that you've got for the future of either freedom or beyond something that you'd love to pull off that you haven't yet been able to do but and you're maybe not sure that you'll ever be able to do it <laughs> for various reasons but is, do you have a dream I want to open a bakery no, uh, sometimes I do. I, 
Well, with the festival, I think, you know, that ambition about the nine day thing, if we can get to that point, then all the things that will make that possible, mm. all those partnerships I talked about and all that, I'd love to see that festival. Mm. I'd love to go to that festival. Mm. I can see what it is and I, that, that would be, I think, you know, I'd be really proud and, and you know, that would be my, kind of professionally, that's something I want to see. I want to see this festival that starts from the streets and then grows into this festival that has an amazing artistic integrity and international program it talks about real issues it has this rhythm it has all these different venues and scale of work and i want to see that festival because what i see out there in comparable festivals is these very elitist festivals over here mm. and these very kind of free public um, entertaining festivals and there's a gap in the middle right. and i want to i want to achieve that i want to i want to get that that right and I and I want to do that in Hull mm -hmm. and in terms of shows I want to use the river I want to see boats I want to I want to do a high wire walk across the river I want to or maybe across the estuary I want to do yeah. I want to do these big pieces that feel really part of this place mm -hmm. and they're not just importing something in I want to make something of scale here I think the river is you know it gets quieter and quieter it just kind of seems to be silting up. Yeah. Just, you know, there's practically not as much need for it anymore. There's not, I suppose. Uh, you look at the, the pictures from years gone by, and my God, it was busy. I just think if, if the river could be revitalised, yeah. something like that, and show its new potential. Yeah. And I'd like it exciting. to tell the stories of people. I mean, I think, you know, we're having a lot of chats at the moment with the Maritime Project, and I've got that wire walk is a proposition that, we, that we're, we're pitching to open the North End shipyard with. And the idea is that there's a, there's a high wire walker, but then as he's walking, what you're hearing is a story of the river. Mm. And you're hearing about these people. And really, I really hope we get that right in Hull, because I think, I think there's a lot of people who have got a, really, a very strong, very important relationship with the fishing industry. I think there's a lot of people who have a very strong relationship and resonance with with the Second World War and, and what happened in Hull. I think there's that. And I think there's another audience that we haven't met yet and another generation who are genuinely really interested in authentic human stories. And that might be about migration. It might be the, the Eskimo that came over and got flew. You know, all those amazing stories of Hull. I really would like to try and, and there's several things on the table at the moment, but how do we talk about Hull as a city of pioneers and adventurers? And how do we hide this dirty word of migration in there? Because that's what we're talking about. And I think that would be a big thing for Hull. I think Hull has got so much to say and so many really genuine, amazing stories of people. Why We don't need to be like somewhere else. We need to tell those stories that we've already got. Freedom Festival begins now, today, Wednesday. It started. Big thanks to Vicky Foster and Pat from the Broken Orchestra for the clip from Fair Winds and Following Seas, uh, which they made, and which I am about to head out and experience this very day. It's a brilliant and broad menu of events this year. Um, so get yourself booked in for the ticket shows and get down there in the days to come and join us. Be one of the thousands expecting the unexpected and sharing the amazing moments that are gonna happen. I'll see you there. I'm off right now. See ya.